This is Agriculture Off the Grid. Good evening, my name is Chester Connell. It's another Monday. My guest this evening is the Executive Director of the Caribbean Center for Competitiveness, Indira Sajuan Ali. She is in St. Vincent for a specific purpose related to tourism. So why is this Caribbean leader on agriculture off the grid? Well, it's quite simple. In my opinion, tourism should not be allowed to exist without local sustainable agriculture playing a major role. She may or may not disagree. We'll see. So I've invited this leader from the Caribbean Center for Competitiveness. With her knowledge, experience and particular wisdom, Ms. Shazuan Ali is here to help us understand how this major pillar of our economic development, sustainable agriculture, must be a priority if we're to have any tourism product or any service industry. So a very good evening to you. Welcome. And why are you in St. Vincent and the Grenadines? Are you here to rescue us? We're in dire straits, I'm told. Good afternoon, Chester. Um, thank you for inviting me. Um, you know, and good afternoon to your listeners. I, I hope that um, we will have a, an interesting and fruitful um, conversation over the next hour. I am in St. Vincent because the center that I had, which is, as you said, the Caribbean Center for Competitiveness, a University of the West Indies Center, was established about four years ago in order to support private sector development. As you know, um, all of the countries in the region have a particular challenge, um, uh, and the challenge really is about how do they move from being monoculture or monocrop economies, which means that they are economies that largely depend on one key sectors. In Trinidad and Tobago is oil and gas, um, in, uh, in Barbados is tourism, and in St. Vincent and the Grenadines it is... Tourism? Right, look at that. And you were talking about agriculture yep. as being as, as being the base. So that how do we move economies then, the, our economies, from being monoculture to being more diversified economies, where we have a range of sectors contributing to the generation of revenue, to the generation of foreign direct investment, to the generation of foreign exchange, and most important, to the generation of sustainable employment um, through which the people of the respective countries are able to eke out a decent standard of living. And by decent, I mean ability to own a home. It affords them an income that allows them to be able to, you know, look after their children, send them to school, have a home, drive a vehicle, all of these things which are now in the world that we live in, very basic, basic amenities. I am here um, in my district, I'm still to get to that, because my center has um, funded a study on the tourism sector, because you have said, and you are correct, tourism has become the main source of revenue generation for um, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, but it has been under serious um, threat. It is seriously constrained. So what we thought we would do at the center is to do a, a, um, use a methodology that the center has developed over time, which is to take a value chain or cluster approach to analyzing the tourism sector in order to determine whether, for example, the niches that have been identified by your government as the priority areas, whether these make sense and to really make recommendations as to whether you should go forward with them and if you do go forward with them, how you should go forward with them. And really it is about trying to determine how best to determine one, what is the value? You're producing a tourism product. What part of the value from 
idea to the final consumer, who in this case would be the tourists, what part of the money value that, that is added along that chain is kept in St. Vincent. The study is, is, is the findings are very very interesting, and um, in in some instances are showing that um, you have some sectors that are growing in terms of numbers of arrival, but when you look at what St Vincent and Grenadines is getting from it, is very very marginal. No, I just need you to 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 repeat that um, because we tend to have a lot of rumors and hearsay and ideas flying about but what you just said there is based on fact that um, there's a lot of output we spend a lot of money on tourism but are we really receiving what we should be is, is that what you're saying that well, those I, are the I, would facts say and figures? It, I would say it differently what I would say is that you have tourist products that you offer um, or that you claim to offer but when you look at the real, if you translate that into dollars and cents, the dollars and cents that that is bringing into St. Vincent is marginal when compared to the same industry operating in another country, the kind of dollars and cents that is being kept or being generated and, 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 and that remains within the host country. So that if you want to remain in these particular sectors, you must understand the value chain and you must do things in order to create the linkages to ensure and I think this would probably be a good place to link into your 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 concern which is the holistic of agriculture and you are very right a country like St. Vincent and the Grenadines um, that is largely agrarian um, where your agricultural sector is 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 there it is certainly um, um, you know, it, it, you, you have active production taking place. And one part of the tourism value chain is food, a very important part of it. The tourists, whether we're talking about an excursionist, whether we're talking about um, the ecotourists, whether we're talking about the, the honeymooners or, or with whatever category of tourists that we're talking about, one of the things that they need uh, is obviously food and entertainment. To what extent is the local agricultural sector in St. Vincent part then of the tourism value chain which would then translate into revenues to your farmers at the end of the day and what we have found is that is very very marginal and um, we, you have not even started to explore your potential in terms of adding value to your tourism product in this particular area. And, and, and therefore, this is work that, that is needed to be done. I can list off for you what many of the, um, of the tourism um, of the hoteliers may say, for example. They would say, we can't depend in terms of getting a reliable supply all year round, we, the quality might be questionable in terms of consistency, the price might be variable. These are some of the challenges that I know, and these are legitimate concerns. So the, the issue is if, you, if a government is serious about creating that linkage, then you have to work with your farmers then to ensure that they do what is necessary, they engage in the proper kind of agrarian practices, in the proper kind of, um, of, of 
production um, 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 production what is it what I'm looking for uh, planning that will ensure that you have consistency of supply consistency of quality consistency of price but price mind you that does not only benefit the consumer who in this case would be the, the hoteliers but that would also benefit the farmers to ensure that they can eke out a decent living okay so stick up in there let's let's go back um, First of all, remind us again, well, actually you didn't say it, but tomorrow is an event that yes. uh, the press is being invited to. What's happening tomorrow? Well, tomorrow we are presenting um, the preliminary findings of the study that we have looked at. We, as I said, we've looked at tourism, we have looked at the four niche areas that, that have been identified by the government of St. Vincent as the product offerings, niche offerings of St. Vincent and Grenadine, romance tourism, diving, yachting, and ecotourism. We will be presenting tomorrow primarily our research on two of those areas, um, and those would be yachting and romance tourism. The center that I had is actually financing the study. So it's not being financed by the government of St. Vincent or any stakeholder in St. Vincent. Because I have a Caribbean, my center has a Caribbean mandate, and I had resource some, some resources, and I had trained someone in St. Vincent in the methodology that we used, I thought that St. Vincent was a good, good, good place. And you might ask me, well, why didn't I do it in agriculture? And the reason being, I'm aware that the European Union, through the BAM initiative, has actually um, financed a value chain study in the agricultural sector. And um, that is possibly either completed or certainly on its way to being completed. So I didn't want to duplicate um, effort. And I thought, therefore, it would be useful, given that tourism is so important and you talk about it all the time. I mean, even the construction I know of your new airport is all part of being able to make um, tourism a more attractive destination um, to, 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 the, to the tourists. And therefore, I thought, I thought this would be, it would be good for a nonpartisan, very objective institution to take on such a study and to really present to the stakeholders very objective data um, in terms of what is happening. What is also different about the approach that my center takes is that it is very demand-driven. And that is very important because one of the things that what, that I found in terms of, of doing work in, 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 in the region, and <laughs> particularly this was said to us from the people who trained us, we are not sufficiently demand-driven. We ignore the demand aspect of the product. So we say, okay, so it's in Vincent and Greenwich, we have lovely beaches and, you know, so Sansi and San, and therefore we can offer tourism. Or we may have some athletes and we do well, you know, we should do sports tourism. But at the end of the day, before you, you have to decide, you have to determine whether there is demand for those products or whether you have the capacity and the resources to create demand for that product. So this, what you will be hearing tomorrow is different from that perspective because we will, what we will be recommending will be, um, will be uh, derived from where we see the trends in these particular niches globally, understanding the market, the dem demographics of the market, and really working you know, backward now in order to see how St. Vincent and the Grenadines can stack up. You're going to reverse engineer it, as they say. Uh, um, semantics. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Oh, yes. Is that open <laughs> to the public? Well, it's open. I would say it's open to 
anyone who is directly involved in the tourism sector, who have a stake in the tourism sector. And where is it? It's at the Methodist Church, the conference so, hall, mm -hmm. and it's, it's from 9 to 12 tomorrow morning. Okay. We are really hoping that your Minister of Tourism will, will, will come and actively participate. At the very least, we're hoping that he will come and maybe make some opening remarks. But I think it would be very, very much in his interest if he were to spend a couple of hours with us. The person of the gregarious Mr. Cecil Mackey. He'll be there, I'm sure. I know he was interviewed. I know that the consultant did interview him um, for the, the, the work. Yes, he has a wealth of information. 13 minutes after 6, this is Agriculture Off the Grid. My guest is Indira Sajuan Ali. She is the Executive Director of the CCFC, the Caribbean Center for Competitiveness, based at St. Augustine, UE, Trinidad. We're talking about linkages to agriculture. You're here, as you've just said, um, in no... Uh, short version that uh, you are here to uh, hold this um, presentation tomorrow and I truly hope that that we can all garner a lot of useful information the information is useful the question is what are we going to do with it after what do you imagine is going to happen after this presentation. What would you hope would happen? Okay, I, I like that you rephrased and asked mm -hmm. me what I would hope for because, um, you know, we could be sitting here really 40 years ago having the same conversation and it would probably be much the same. Yes. Because even though there is the, the recognition that we, we need to get kickstart, you know, our sectors and we need to have them growing sustainably, um, we seem to don't know how. I would hope that the recommendations that will come out of this, um, and, and the work isn't done at the end of tomorrow, I should say. The work really continues until we have a final report. But I think some of the recommendations that we will make tomorrow are very concrete recommendations. They're very specific recommendations. And I think if the government of St. Vincent, together with the stakeholders in the tourism sector, take ownership of these recommendations and actually act on it, I think that it would be a basis for St. Vincent really determining, for example, if it can play with the real players in, let's say, for example, the romance tourism niche sector. Do you know if those four niches are based on study or is that what you're saying? They're not based on any robust uh, research no. they're picked out of the air basically they, yes they're not based on any robust research and i say this without fear or favor and i say that this is not particular to st vincent and the grenadines in fact it is a, um, a dilemma that we see throughout the region where governments have identified new growth areas new niches um, um based on many different factors sometimes it is simply what they hear in 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 the in the, in the news wave or something that's vogue. or what the european union has funding for right so that too and and in fact that is an entire conversation we could have about you know donor agencies really coming and telling us what they want to give us money for as opposed to our agenda really determining and shaping where we ask for and insist we get the money so that we can have sustainable outcomes, so that 
very too often we get donor funding and we get studies done and we have very vague you know recommendations and they just go and they sit on a shelf and you know the approach to the center is, is taken is one that is very different in fact I, I can tell you that one of the recommendations that we will make tomorrow is that that the the sector itself and and this is those who are directly involved more removing the, the, the public service and government from this, but the direct players in the tourism sector really should form a cluster organization, a cluster organization that uh, that they should spearhead the, the formation of a cluster organization. And now a cluster organization will have representation from all of the major stakeholders who could possibly have some contribution to make to the development of a clearly competitive and sustainable strategy for whatever niche in tourism you're focusing on. It must be driven by the private sector, by those people who have the strongest vested interests. And their role is really to be the pressure group on the government to ensure that policy is driven by robust analysis, which would have been done in order to determine the direction and the strategy and and the, then you will have a policy framework a legislative framework that supports that kind of implementation rather than you having um, legislation that's in place that it that is that that is argued for a sector but when you look at it it really doesn't serve the sector so for example if we if, if we take romance tourism currently in your in your um, in, in your um, country, if an individual wants to come to St. Vincent and get married, he has to allocate one day to come here and to go to the courts or whatever in order to get a marriage license. In other top destinations, he can stay right where he is and all of that is taken care of. You know, you can't, you, your, your legislative framework doesn't cater to the, um, to the cruise ship passenger who may come in on a whim or fancy decide, you know, I want to get married. So if you are serious about it, you have to understand where the market is and what the market wants, what elements of demand are there. And then you have to be able to provide that. And I want to say provide that not uh, provide it without compromising the things that, as a, from a country perspective, you determine are important. So for example, if you determine that your environment is is precious and you want to protect it. That in itself is a factor that must be factored in from the very beginning of the development of a strategy. So it will speak to the kind of tourism, if we, even if we keep it with romance, the kind of weddings that we want to cater to. Maybe we want to merge it with the ecotourism kind of, of product. Maybe we want to merge it with the whole diving and the sea sport kind kinds of activity so that we know then immediately the market that we are targeting. A couple of questions, but I just want to, again, get back to basics all the time. The CCFC, your organization, based at St. Augustine, the Caribbean Center for Competitiveness, is, um, you started in 2012? Yeah, end of 2011. Yes, so you are about three years old. Mm -hmm. Do you have any evidence of what you're talking about there actually being implemented by any government or Caribbean organization that has done said yes, CCFC, I think you've done a fine bit of research here. We did not know this before, and we are excited by this, and we are implementing it as we speak. Well, this part of what the CCFC is doing is only just started. Huh? 
previous to now, what we were doing was developing the capacity in terms of being able to um, use this methodology. So we've been engaged in a lot of training. We have trained people from throughout the region in cluster mapping, um, value chain analysis, innovation um, policy, in a whole number of areas. And then we have spent the time kind of developing, developing a model for how we would approach research. We are now starting, in fact, these first set of projects are the first one that we are doing like this. Having said that, this whole kind of approach is new to the Caribbean, but it is what the countries that rank topmost in, for example, the Global Competitiveness Index. This is the kind of approach that they, in fact, have taken. So other countries are implementing Oh, absolutely, this. absolutely. And if we don't implement it, we're going to be left behind. Uh, without a doubt. Because, because this is a practical how-to. It provides you with a practical how-to in order to do it. If for, I'll use, for example, um, the um, the case of Italy. No, no, sorry, not the case of um, of um, Norway. Okay, Norway's oil and gas gas sector was. A very at a very mature stage, it was confronted with the whole issue of <clears throat> alternative fuels, so it was declining significantly. They didn't know what to do. They formed a cluster organization, which driven by the industry, and they started to talk to brainstorm. And really, they they started this organization in order to explore moving away from biofuels to moving into fossil fuels. By the time they did the kind of analysis that my center is doing, they realized that going into biofuels was not what they needed to do. Although it sounded like a great idea. Obviously, that's where the world is going. What they realized that they needed to do was they needed to find ways in order to be able to tap into oil and gas way deeper than they were able to do at that point in time. That resulted in the emergence. They then partnered with the, with, the, with, the, with the universities. That resulted in the development of an entire new field of study called mechatronics, which combines robotics and engineering and a number of different fields. And they have developed technology, robotic technology, that allow them to be able to, very in very cost-effective manner, to be able to continue to transform a mature sector, to revive it, to give it new life, so to speak, but also to create a new field of study that so many of their young people have gone. The demand in terms of for this new field is, has grown astronomically. So they are now supplying trained people. This is now a business in itself, in addition to which the technology is transferable. It is not just restricted to the oil and gas sector, but can be translated into a number of different technology-based sectors. So that this is what robust analysis Chester does for you. You know, we in the Caribbean have to move away from um, intuition and vested interests and, 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 and pressure group, um, you know, simply, you know, friend of the minister maybe making an investment in some area and saying, look, you know, I mean, this is a good area. And then suddenly that becomes a national priority. Oh, in agriculture, yeah. I like planting ginger, so I'm going to do 10 acres of ginger mm -hmm. and not, not having done any robust analysis to find out right. is there a market for ginger That's and right. even if there is a market for ginger how do i supply that market Precisely. do i have the logistics in place to supply it so we've got a challenge here in st vincent and the grenadines um, because we've pulled these uh, four areas out of the air romance diving yachting and 
what's the other one? Ecotourism. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, then we have a, a billion dollar airport. So what, what we should have done, which I'm not sure if it has been done, I'm sure it probably was done, that we did some robust analysis and we found out that we need to build a billion dollar airport. Um, so that has to be linked now to agriculture because the robust uh, analysis showed us that we have a lot of agricultural crops to give airlift to. All of these things w w should really be worked out before we, 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 we take mm -hmm. up a plan, shouldn't, shouldn't we? Yes, it should be. It should be. More than that, if you are putting down an international airport of this nature, you should at the very least have memorandums of understanding with established airlines. Because we're talking about here, now what, what we're talking about here is now the, the capacity for very large um, 747s, etc., to be able to land in your space. And, and the airline industry is highly oligopolistic and by what I mean by that is there really are very few large international players and you really would have needed to ensure that you have arrangements with them at least memorandum understanding that they are prepared to run X number of flights and you would have been required to crunch the numbers in order to determine that you know this airport could really at the very least sustain itself because it is wanting to put the infrastructure down and put the hotel down. I'm sorry, the, put the airport down, but the next issue is the issue of, um, of maintaining it. And unless you have the traffic flow and the number of airlines coming in to, to pay the kinds of, of, of taxes that are required, then you could possibly be having a situation where in addition to the drain on taxpayers to service a debt, I'm assuming that you would have borrowed to put down the, the, the airport in the first place, you could then be having a situation where the recurrent costs in terms of maintaining the airport could possibly be also uh, met, need to be met from taxpayers' money. And that, I think, you know, is so the the in, in my view, and I don't know that it wasn't done, but I would want to give um, those who made the decision the benefit of the doubt that there was some amount of thinking. It, it is, it, while I want to give the benefit of the doubt, you know, us doing this analysis in tourism really suggests that it possibly wasn't done because if, if, if it was, then there would have been the understanding, well, you know, even before that, we need to have some very, very clear strategies for how we are going to develop our tourism products so that we can attract. Because at the end of the day, people don't, tourists don't come to a destination just because you have an airport. They come to the destination for what are the services and the products that you have on offer. Precisely. So like, 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 like Mustique, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, in two years' time will be celebrating their 50th anniversary. They've been here for 50 years, and um, they have been successful as a global organization, attracting a global clientele, attracting the wealthiest people in this, of, in this global environment, global market, and they've done so without an international airport. So clearly they uh, did well, something. It, it suggests to me that what they did was to decide, de decide in the niche in which they want to play, and then determine what was required in order to play there and then go ahead and do it. Costa Rica is a, is, a, is a good example of that as well. In the case of Costa Rica, an agrarian economy, um, the, the then president, and you know, um, Figaro, and what he decided was that, look, I wanted, why can't, and this, was, this is a case of creating demand, eh? why can't Costa Rica be a, a, a known for uh, 
having a very well-established ICT sector. That's what he wanted. That was his vision for, and, and a noble vision. So what did he do? He went to Intel. He looked, he studied the market, he looked at the players, and he says, hmm, who is the biggest player here? He determined it was Intel. He went to Intel and he says, come to Costa Rica and tell me what do I need to do in order to bring you here? Because he understood. Once he got an Intel to come, then everyone else would follow. And the history speaks for itself. That is exactly what happened. Within a few years, Costa Rica was home um, to over 500 internationally top-ranked ICT um, companies in the world. They, what he did was he, 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 he brought in academia in it. So what he started to do was tr train um, engineers and required skill sets. So he was improving the lot of his people and ensuring that the arrangements that he entered into ensure that they would be given priority for the jobs. He provided fiscal incentive and, and scaled his fiscal in, his, his incentives in order to incentivize companies not just to operate within the well-established zones, but to move into the hinterlands where he could generate employment and provided more and more attractive fiscal incentives for you to go there. So it's about creating that bag of, 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 of um, having a clear strategy in terms of what you want, understanding what the demand side requires of you, determining what out of there you want to provide, and then going about the business of doing it. Well, we have been chatting about tourism, and this is why you're here in St. Vincent, because you're here to... to uh be involved in a presentation that, that uh, relates strictly to tourism, but I am trying to uh, discuss as well the linkages between tourism, which is not going to go away, mm -hmm. clearly. Um, well, it might if, 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 if we continue not having, as you are suggesting, proper analysis of what we're about. We're picking things out of the air. So it really doesn't matter what you're saying is. It doesn't matter if you build an airport that has capacity to take a million people a year, which apparently our Argyle Airport, our Argyle International Airport does or will uh, have the capacity to have a million visitors a year, which is more than St. Lucia and probably Barbados. Um, but uh, we don't know yet who, our, who those visitors are. We have no idea who our visitors are, which is why you're doing this study to find out if it's romance, if it's off the grid, if it's... Uh, uh, but I want to talk about agriculture in Dear Sajiwan. Um, and I wanted to, to put forward a suggestion and, and hear what you think about it. Given your understanding of uh, how things work in the region, um, you are an economist. You are an economist in Trinidad, um, and you're highly respected there and in the region. You've got a firm grasp of what happens economically in our region and what happens culturally as well because um, I don't think things can happen economically if we don't understand the culture. Um, in St. Vincent and the Grenadines, how do we make those linkages work? You talked about the demand side and the supply side uh, and you're saying that we have this focus on the supply side. We have sun and, sun and sand and sea, so that's what we're going to do. I'm a farmer and I like planting bananas, so I'm going to plant bananas uh, or, or whatever crop. Um, not giving any thought, much less analysis, to the demand side. What, a, what is the demand for this product? Is there demand for this product? In St. Vincent and the Grenadines, can we not, for instance, have the Hotel 
Association, the Tourism Hotel Association, Hotel and Tourism Association. Um, be a driving force, be the leader in actually taking this situation to the farmers. So, so, so the Hotel Association sort of uh, s stops depending on the government or other uh, entities because the, they are a huge organization in this industry. Um, we have a certain number of hotels. A lot of them are family run. They're small hotels. They're all under 50 rooms, 50 rooms or, or fewer. Um, should, can the idea not be explored of they taking this to the farmers and uh, uh, setting up an organization where you link the demand and the supply, both the demand for tourism and the demand for agriculture. And if you have a demand for tourism and you're doing that properly, which apparently we're not now, then you'd be able to coordinate the demand for agricultural products locally to the tourism sector and the supply side as well, and be the marketing, be the coordinating, negotiating, marketing entity between those two. Well, you know, the Tourism Association will tell you that's not our business. We are but it we is. Are in the no, let, let, let me finish. Okay. You are, you are given onto the tourism um, sector a social responsibility, um, which if they are so minded, of course they can do, but they will not take that up unless it affects their bottom line in a positive way. And I think we have to understand that they will they will say their agenda is not the development agenda that's the rule for government and what you just described there in fact uh, of that agency that actually acts as that kind of broker and and and, and really um strategizes that kind of linkage is a very clear rule for the state which has the development agenda, which has the social agenda. And that, therefore, and, and, and w w in my view, what has to happen is the, is the hotel association and a far the farmers association need to talk, and they both need to say, look, what kind of pressure can we bring to bear on the state which is spending our money? And I think very often people forget that. Governments are spending, taxpayers' money is our money that they're spending. How can we force them to spend their money to allocate their um, their, their policy frameworks and whatever in a way that will support that. And I say that to give a, and I give a simple example for example, for why can't the state consider giving a fiscal incentive to the hotel, to, sorry, to the tourism sector for the use of local input into their food element? Give, find a way, find a creative way to provide an incentive. It will be attractive to the tourism sector because it's going to impact their idea. But at the end of the day, they have a business to run under very, very trying circumstance. And they can barely keep their heads above water dealing with what they have to do, much less if you ask them now to deal with agriculture, if you understand what I'm saying. But if they have an incentive in order to do so, then yes, yeah, so in, in, in my view then, and a lot of our countries in the region have done that, in order to bring a foreign investor into tourism, in our region, we give them tax, um, uh, you know, duty-free exemption for everything, including food. Instead, why c couldn't we be, or why can't we be creative and give them an incentive 
to use our local foods. So yes, I want you foreign investors to come. And yes, I'm pre 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 um, prepared to incentivize you. But the incentive that I'm prepared to give to you is if you use my local um, foods in creating your exotic dishes that I want you to be able to do, then you get a tax incentive. And you know what we don't also understand sufficiently is that the growing trends in the global tourism market is where the, the, the new and emerging tourists is looking for destinations and experiences that are authentic, that are not the run of the mill. We seem, we do not, we, we are misguided. There's a particular tourist that comes to a destination as looking for the KFC and, 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 and that kind of Yeah. <laughs> up to recently they would have because that's who we cater for but is that the tourist that you want to cater for what our, what our research is finding is that the growth trend, trends in tourism is looking for something totally different they're looking they want to come and experience your local cuisine and your local exotic things i want to kind of make a, a link again between the two the two the Let's take the romance, tourism, and your agricultural sector. When you look at the kinds of things that we associate with romance, we associate chocolate with romance, don't we? It, you know, it, um, was it, it stimulates the, the, the happy endorphins and whatever, whatever. It is that kind of food. When we see the pictures, we see strawberry with a, you know, a dub, you know, a chocolate on top of it. And, and St. Vincent and the Grenadines, what do you grow here? You grow cocoa. You don't only grow cocoa, you grow fine flavor. You grow the fineness of cocoa. I, again, I've done a study on cocoa, and we've done this in the cocoa industry in Trinidad and Tobago. And Trinidad and Tobago is well on its way to becoming a niche destination for artisanal chocolates, which is where the money is at, which is where a consumer will pay up to 85 euros for a kilo of these tiny little truffles. And, and in these truffles, you can get pepper, you can get ginger, you can get mangoes, the flavor, you can this get rum. No, this is in Italy. Trinidad is, is, is way ahead in doing this, and they are, they are, in fact, doing this. But in terms of when you look at the global destination that people go to for this thing, we're talking about Belgium and Italy. They don't grow, they don't even have never, possibly have never seen a cocoa pod in their life. But if we're talking about the fact that we have a cocoa industry. We have to be starting to the conversation about adding value along the value chain so that the people in St. Vincent and the Grenadines benefit from it. We're talking about training people to become chocolatiers and become, um, um, our, um, um, I'm trying to use the, the fancy word, what's the fancy name for a cook? Uh, chef, a, a chef, yeah. chefs that 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 have that are um that are versed in the art of using chocolate in in what they produce mm -hmm. to serve at the dinner table. We're talking about yeah, we're talking about bartenders again. What are the exotic name for that? Who who can come up with the most exotic concussions in terms of how do you merge chocolate into into the in kind of cocktail drinks and all of this? We're talking about chocolate spas where we you you have come to St Vincent to get married and you can go to a spa and immerse yourself in chocolate as a couple. These are, if you are serious about, these are the ex kinds of experiences that the wedding, the romance tourist is looking for. You have a base in the cocoa to be able to do this. Let me tell you, 
regardless of how much value you add in terms of fair trade, in terms of single source of origin, in terms of branding your beans, if you simply remain in the business of selling cocoa beans to the rest of the world, you are in a bad business. I say that categorically on the basis of the research that I have done. And I say that without fear. Say that, that again. Is say that again. Again. Because, you know, I have been told, I, I, I must tell you that I've been told by, uh, you know, uh, those immersed in the in the cocoa business here, that uh, the, the the opinion they're sharing with me is that that has already been done by Hershey's and Cadbury. So there's no point competing with Hershey's and Cadbury. They're right. We cannot compete with Hershey's and Cadbury to produce chocolate bars. That's bad business. I'm talking about the chocolate bars that you're familiar with. We cannot even compete producing just dark chocolate bars because all of these conglomerates, there are a few of them, few of them that monopolize the global chocolate industry and they are in every niche that you can identify with the exception of artisanal chocolate production. What is that? Which is what we are in the region, which is where we are best positioned to locate ourselves. This is where you have one single chocolatier who is running his entire operation, who is producing his chocolate on a daily basis. He's producing niche chocolates that you come to his shop and you can choose the different varieties that you want and you can bundle it up and you can buy it. Where he has his 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 his, his cafe, his chocolate cafe that you could go and you could sit down and you could have a hot cup of cocoa with um with with um all kinds of creams and he he can immerse in there all kinds of flavors like ginger and and and, and saffron and all sorts of things to give you a unique a unique experience i'm not talking about going into to, into the grocery and picking up a bar of chocolate here i'm talking about exotic products and i am telling you this is where the value is this is where people go to countries just in order to have this experience they want to, they want a complete experience so, so they want to come and tour the 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 cocoa farm they want to see the pod they want to see the dance of the cocoa they want to participate in the dance of the cocoa so there are so many ways and and a farm that can now offer all of these services is now going to be making more and more money what we have found in Trinidad in terms of the research is that pure, pure farm, pure cocoa farms, it will be very difficult for a farmer to produce cocoa alone unless he's producing it really at a significantly large scale to be able to do so um, profitably. And therefore, mixed farming, mixed farming so that he could support it is the way to go. But what we want to do is we don't want to be selling our beans to the rest of the world. We want to have the rest of the world come to us if we produce bars. To begin with, you know what is the volume you have to produce in order to fill a container under the conditions that you require to ship it for it to maintain its um its um mm, volume it's it's a shape and, yes. and the mm -hmm. text is a word that, that eludes me at this point in time you can't i mean a country as small as as uh, even trinidad and tobago cannot um do this and and you're competing with very large countries that are doing this and where it's being done primarily is in europe and you have a situation where the people who are buying our beans is a, is a globally, it's a few very, very large companies that are buying up their beans. Who have power? We have a set of small little farmers fighting up to produce a couple hundred kilos, of, you know, tons of, uh, of beans. So and what you're you saying is we can buyers. do less and achieve much more. Absolutely.
Do less and we achieve more. We can do less and achieve more. We don't have to go into bulk production of our beans. We need to focus our research and producing the best bean that we can. But then we need to focus on value added, creating the kind of experience that people want to look at. What prevents you from creating a chocolate marriage experience? A chocolate marriage experience. Yeah. Mm, I like if it. you are talking about romance tourism. So it's mm. about be- getting creative. Right. But we don't even know where we are in tourism yet. We don't That's know whether true. it's romance. Right. We don't know whether it is of the, uh, it's uh, ecotourism. We don't know whether it's diving. We don't know whether it is... And if... Uh, what's the other one? Um, yachting. Yachting, yes. And if we're talking eco, the ecotourist is looking... Ecotourism... There's some characteristics of ecotourism that you must have to be, to qualify as an uh, as an ecotourist product, right? The involvement of the community is extremely important, right? So you're you're talking about really working at that level to develop your products around community sus- sustainability, because that is what those tourists are looking for. So they're not looking for your traditional um, pastors and all. They want to come and they want to immerse themselves in your culture, in your environment, and they want it to do. But, but there are certain things that they want. They're looking for proper standards. You know, I mean, today, you know, I, I saw some tourists trying to make a decision as to whether they would have lunch at a particular place. And when you look at their faces and they're trying to make the decision, and you could tell it could possibly be the presentation that really was the fact that it caused them to say, "Mm, no, we're not so sure we want to do this. So standards, understanding the kinds of standards that the market, that the demand the consumer wants is important. There, there's a lot, a lot to be done. Um, but you have to put all of it and you have to be working at putting it all together simultaneously if you want to really try. There's no quick fix to this, Chester. No quick fix. This can't be done in six months. It can't be done in one year. It can't be done in two years. You have to in, be invested in this for the medium to long term for true transformation to take place. Unfortunately, our governments, our political parties have this five-year window and they think they need to deliver. They need to deliver on mega projects and things that are very visible and signs of development, which really is signs of, I I mean, it's certainly not signs of development, it's signs what what we see in other parts of the world, but that is not necessarily development. We need to redefine development and we need to look at development from our own unique perspective. You know, in, in Denmark, for example, you know, which is one of the happiest places in the world, you know, Denmark is a place where everybody don't have a smartphone. You have young university students living at home with their parents and very happy to do so. Leisure is an important part of their culture. So this, they, they, they're not obsessed with, with work. They must have time for leisure where they spend time with their family in open spaces in parks, dining together as a family. These are critical factors. A documentary was done on this. You know, I, I, if you haven't looked at it yet, I suggest you and your listeners, go and look at it. Because the Danes have defined from their own perspective what quality of life is for them. And they have then used that as a basis to define where they go. So deliberately, they have decided, we don't want any high-end tech ICT sector. We want an ICT sector that is suited to what our base is, which is our agriculture. 
So they have gone into pharmaceuticals and they've gone into value-adding things at a, to a particular level using that base that they have. Precisely. And this is what uh, I remember saying that to you earlier today. You know, with greatest respect to what your organization does, which we need uh, once we decide. Um, you take a look at St. Vincent. You take a look at our history, our heritage, what has come out of our history. Um, two weeks ago, I had a gentleman sitting right where you're sitting, and he was relating to myself and to our listeners where St. Vincent was in the 1950s. And those, that success 50 years ago was based on who we are, who we were, and what came out of that, what we have. So we had cotton, um, and we were at the time a British colony, but it was working for us. So we had cotton, we had a lot of derivatives from that. So here we are now in 2015, what do we have? We have extremely fertile land, we have mountains, we still have some forests left. We also, ironically, have marijuana, uh, which is a big product for us and which is a great part of the and economy. And Massa has said, you know, it should be legalized, we are... Exactly. Uh, we st- we, right, well, we're still hesitant to legalize it because it's not legal yet. Um, so I don't but know... we're what, thinking what, about it. Yeah, but I don't know what we're waiting on. We're waiting on... Well, you see, that's the other thing, too. You know, that famous or infamous poem, um, somebody was waiting on anybody to do something, therefore nothing got done. So I think we're in a situation where CARICOM is, you know, everybody in CARICOM is waiting on the other person in CARICOM to do it. So, but anyway. But maybe, Chester, we need to have a conversation whether has independence worked for us? Precisely. precisely. There's so many conversations (laughs) that we need to have, so many conversations. Incidentally, marijuana was once legal. Certainly in Trinidad, I was reading really? that, yeah, marijuana was legal. You could just go to the pharmacy or wherever and buy it legally. It was, uh, but of course, we followed Uncle Sam and, um, you know, they made it illegal in, in the 30s. And anyway. Yeah, what, remember once coconut oil was taboo? That's right. That's right. That's Up to very talking. recently. Now they have decided it's good for you. And suddenly, but in the process, we have destroyed our coconut industry. Coconut water now is such a major growth area globally. And when you look, if you go into our supermarkets, you will see the coconut water bottles imported from Latin America, from all kinds of places. Where is our coconut water? Precisely. It's like you, can't, you can barely, in Trinidad, for example, you could barely go get a fresh nut. So, you know, and these are the kinds of, of, of unfortunate things that, you know, that we seem to to not have our independence of mind and thought. Yeah, it, it, it seems that the Caribbean has everything that we need. I certainly believe that and know that, that the Caribbean has what it needs to be itself, to realize its heritage, to realize its identity. But we we're continually waiting on an external narrative to inform us yeah. of what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Uh, but it's ex- and, why. <laughs> and why to do it. Uh, yeah, we may have what we need, but apparently we don't have what we want. There you go. And unfortunately, we tend to, you know, go sometimes um, blinded um, towards what we want, thinking that what we want is what we need, but is not necessarily the truth. I'm excited by the fact, nevertheless, that, uh, you know, um, Trinidad is certainly no um, 
you know, no paradise or no 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 paragon. We think it is. Oh, we well, think God was born in Trinidad. Didn't you hear that? Right. He's also born in Barbados, <laughs> and in Grenada, <laughs> and in St. Vincent. Um, but and maybe he is. Maybe he's born in all, all of these places. Uh, God is yeah, ubiquitous. Yeah, That's right. Omnipotent and om- <laughs> all that. Um, but uh, Trinidad has its challenges but but you're also doing exciting things too um in in the country through your organization as well i I believe you told me sometime about um things like what was it uh the 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 but they're making the same mistake as well in that they're they're jumping up and saying oh yeah let's go with fashion that's going to be a global uh or let's go with the oil industry or let's go with um so they're sort of doing the same thing that we're doing in fact i would say that you know at least at least one can forgive the smaller islands like the St. Vincent's and, 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 and the Grenadas because you are cash poor. Your resource base is extremely limited. But in Trinidad and Tobago, we have the resource. Up, even up to now, we still have the resources to be able to do it right, and we're not. We're still talking about diversification as something to happen. You know, so that the current government says, you know, when we get back into power, diversification is going to become a priority. It seems to always be something that we are, that is going to happen. But as we both know, the future never comes. It is only the now that we have. And if we don't start acting in the now, we will not have a future now in which there is something different. And Trinidad and Tobago, we're good at, we're good at throwing money after circumstances so we have a diversification agenda in inverted commas we are putting money into so-called new growth sectors which we have again plucked out of the air much like you have done without the robust analysis to determine where within these areas we should focus and we put a lot we set up special purpose vehicles we have resourced them we give direct grants and subventions to individuals in these sectors but if you were to ask so over the last five years or 10 years, have we seen growth? Have we seen increased employment in these sectors? Have we seen increased revenue generation? Have we seen new, um, you know, new um, businesses registered in these businesses? Have we seen foreign exchange generation increase from these businesses? And we don't have an answer. Uh, my, my philosophy, my ideas, my suggestion on the way forward for us is to begin where you are, to do what you can with what you have where you are. That's not rocket science. It's not even original. It's it's taken from from Roosevelt, from President Roosevelt, who who famously said that: "Do what you can with what you have where you are." And it is simple, simple, um, you know, ideas like that that I think that we need to embrace. Go back to basics. St. Vincent was most successful when it operated on fundamentals, when it operated on basics, when six people ran the country, um, and when there was a system in place that worked. It was a system that was imposed upon us, um, and I think the time has come when we have to impose a system upon ourselves that works for us. We can no longer depend on uh, that that exogenous um, control. We have to come from within. So what would you say, given your experience, uh, and I'm still thinking, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm still thinking of the, for instance, the HTA, the, the Hotel and Tourism Association. Uh, because it clearly, clearly, the evidence is there that governments don't know what they're doing. Governments are not functional. They're not 
They're not working. They're not delivering. They, they make the same promises, every single government. And in the Caribbean, we have our particular brand of promises and our particular brand of governments. It's the same two parties in every island. When I get elected, I'll do, give you 500 jobs in the first year. I'll give you 100 jobs in the first year or whatever. It's the same election promises every year from every government, every island. So clearly, that is not working. Uh, we have the breakdown of organizations. We have the breakdown of banks, of of, of uh, all sorts of organizations, NGOs. It seems to me that the way forward is for individuals uh, and small groups to affiliate with each other, um, to work together, to, to what can I do right now? Let's go back to basics again. What do I need? I need to feed myself. Um, Maslow's mm, hierarchy of needs. I need to feed myself. Is this where we are in the Caribbean? Because it seems, our, it seems to me as if our demise is imminent. Not eminent anymore, but imminent. It's about to happen. If we, because we're losing the ability to take care of oneself. You know, um, individuals are losing the ability to take care of themselves and therefore losing the ability, obviously, to take care of their, their children and their parents and, and the community at large because we, we don't even know how to feed ourselves because we're depending on external food to come from outside at the tune of two to four hundred million dollars a year in St. Vincent. In Barbados, it's something like six hundred million, I understand. In Trinidad, it must be four billion. My goodness. So, from an, from, you're an economist and you're a former politician as well in Trinidad. Good for you that you're a former politician. Um, where, where do we go from here, realistically? Indira Sajiwan. That is such a good question. You know, I heard um, from a leader of one of these um, international um, multilateral institutions, he said, you know, the world does not owe the Caribbean a living. Those are very, very, very strong words. The world does not owe the Caribbean a living. And an indication of what's to come. Right, and really the message in there is get over yourself. Slavery done, plantation done, special and differential treatment done. It is time to take responsibility for yourself and your future. And that to me has to be the point of departure that we have to understand that nobody is going to come and do it for us. We have this heavy dependence on donor agencies and, and great respect for the, the institutions such as the IMFs and the World Banks, etc. But you know, I want to say this, Chester. If this region was a high growth area where employment was you know, very high, where we didn't have the kinds of economic and social challenges that we do have, there wouldn't be a reason for their being. So us being in a state of underdevelopment creates a raison d'etre for institutions such as the IMF, such as the World Bank, etc. And we don't seem to understand that. We think that they are, they are our big brothers and sisters. 
but they have their particular agenda, which is their own sustainability. And while it is certainly masked in good language and good, um, good um, uh, rhetoric, rhetoric and, and they convince us that, you know, they are really looking after our best interests. The reality is the world does not owe us a living. And unless we wake up to the reality, we'll continue the cycle of spinning top in mud and going nowhere in, and, and just getting ourselves dizzy and falling. We have to, as I said, we have to start, we have to start, you know, I think something like CARICOM, for example. We, from, and, and I think that there is need for a very much a bottom-up kind of approach. To people have to start to say, what really is the purpose of CARICOM? What is the purpose of our heads of governments of this region meeting annually and all of these times, whatever, whatever, and we don't have any positive outcome. The region can't do anything together. We can't even continue to do cricket the way we used to be able to do it. We can't have a regional institution like the University of the West Indies in the way that we used to have it because we they, they come together, they have their cocktails, they have good conversation, and then everybody go back into their silo and operate as if they're an island onto themselves and they are not connected. We should be talking about sector development. We should be talking about agricultural development, for example, from a regional approach. We should be talking about, okay, Trinidad has capital, Ghana, Ghana. has a lot of land space, St. Vincent and the other small islands have some particular niche areas that, that grow particularly well in your areas. How can we create a strategy where each country puts on the on the table what their natural gifts and comparative advantages are, and then we bring together a team of the best minds in order to take that set of, 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 of factors and create a strategy out of that. And then heads of government must then take that on and take that as their mandate to make sure it's implemented. Thank you very much, Indira Sajuan. Um, well, we didn't get any calls. I don't know if we, if we suffocated our listeners um, and they were listening so so closely. Um, but um, I thought we had a call, but I, I don't see uh, signs of it coming in. So um, I think at this point, Indira, um, I'd like to thank you very much for your contribution this evening. Um, I hope you uh, find reason to come back to St. Vincent soon again so that, uh, but by that time, I hope we've made progress and that uh, we're not doing yet another um, uh, survey without following up on it and, um, and that we'll have some, some more uh, productive and proactive uh, elements to our development happening. So thank you very much. Uh, my guest this evening, Indira Sajwan Ali. She is the Executive Director of the CCFC, the Caribbean Centre for Competitiveness, based at uh, St. Augustine in Trinidad. We were looking at this evening the linkages between tourism and agriculture and seeing how we can possibly shed some light on the forward movement of ourselves as individuals, as, as families, as organizations, and as a people, a Caribbean people, we hope, moving forward together as one. And I think the, the takeaway from this evening's program uh, came from Indira Sajiwan Ali, which is that um, we need to 
act as a region if we're going to have any sort of uh, sustainable future. Sustainable future. Thank you very much again, and um, thank you, listeners, for being with us on this another agriculture off the grid.